So uh, for the last couple of weeks, we've been walking through uh, the story of Nehemiah. Um, b- before we get to that, though, um, I just again, I just want to say th- it's so good to be with you. Um, last week, I unfortunately had to go on a cruise down into the Caribbean. Um, now, hold on. Now, I say I say unfortunately because we wore sweatshirts the whole time um, because uh, apparently I took cold weather with me, which was awesome. Uh, and so uh, but it, it really I really mean this like it really is good to be back with you. Uh, I, I missed you. Um, I mean, not that much, but I did miss you while we were away. But so for the last couple of weeks, we've been going through the story of Nehemiah. And, and the story of Nehemiah is uh, the, the story of uh, the Israelites returning back to Jerusalem and, and rebuilding the wall. And in the first week, we talked about how a, 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 a city or a town in this time without walls, without a gate, how this is a picture of, of chaos and anarchy. And so we walked through that and we walked through how, how Nehemiah, how his heart was broken for the state of, of, of Jerusalem, how, how it was broken for like the walls and the gates and how, how, how it all kind of played out. And instead of just being upset about it, Nehemiah went and did something about it. And so we talked through a lot of those things. And then last week, Tim did a great job of like walking through um, what it took to make sure that the walls were rebuilt. Um, and in the face of crazy opposition, uh, what the Israelites faced, like they, they were still able to rebuild these walls. And one of the things that I love so much about that story is that um, it, it, it says that this group or this family did this part of the wall. And then next to them, this group or this family did this part of the wall. And then next to them, it was this group or this family. They did this part of the wall. And the thing that I love about that so much, and like the thing that, that I just, that illustration for us as, as River Club Church is that it wasn't just one person whose heart was broken, but it was an entire group, an entire community of people who were rallying around the same objective. And I love that for us as River Club Church, that we are a place where, where we're going to rally together and we're going to go do infinitely more than we could think of or imagine because we are better together. And so I just loved, I, I loved that, that piece of the story. Um, but to set us up today, I just want to recap a little bit with some dates. So in the month of Kislev, uh, which is late November, early December, somewhere in there, this is when Nehemiah first hears about the state of the walls of Jerusalem. This is when he first learns of it. This is when his first, his heart was first broken for Jerusalem. And so the month of Kislev. And then it says, uh, in May, Nehemiah arrives in Jerusalem. So there, there was some time. So Nehemiah arrives in Jerusalem. It's an 800-mile journey, so that probably took a long weekend. Uh, but to get to um, to get back to Jerusalem, and then it says October 2nd, the wall is completed. On October 2nd, the wall has been completed. This was 52 days after construction of the wall began. 52 days later, they completed the wall. And then on October 8th, Ezra reads the book of the law, and this is where we are today. So October 8th, or October 2nd, the wall has been completed. October 8th, Ezra leads, or reads from the book. Uh, I had a professor in college that talked about the, the, the cycle of humanity and how we always found ourselves. And he, he talked about it all the time. I don't remember much else about that well, college in general, I just, just a terrible student. Um, but I remember this, and it's always stuck with me, but the best recorded in the Old Testament is this cycle of humanity where, where the Israelites, they would proclaim God's goodness, 
and then they would forget about God, and then they would get in real trouble, and that normally meant for them it meant going into captivity. And then God would send someone to be a mouthpiece, or God would send someone to direct them. And so then they would repent, and then they proclaimed God's goodness. And while these cycles may have lasted a few hundred years, like this was still a very vicious cycle that these Israelites found themselves in. And so now, on October 8th, they, they are begging Ezra and Nehemiah and the other leaders to, to come out and to read, um, to read from the book or the book of the law of Moses. And so just six days after the walls were completed, they realized that something wasn't just right. It was in that moment, six days later, that they realized their sin, where they realized how they had strayed and how they had let God down and how they needed to do something about it to make it right again. And I've always believed that, that when we exercise our faith, when we're doing exactly what it is that God has created us to do or has created us to be, that is when real growth takes place. I read an article recently that was entitled, Exercise Can Help a Bad Heart Repair Itself. Exercise can help a bad heart repair itself. And so like, just think about this for a moment. Like, you're probably a lot like me. We're like, well, no, duh. Of course it can. Like, of course exercise is good for you. Of course eating well is, is, is good for you. Like, of, we, we all know these things, but how many of us actually do those things? And so when, when I was reading through this article, one of the things that stood out to me, was, it, it said that when we exercise for 30 minutes a day, 30 minutes a day of walking, riding a bike, running, swimming, chopping firewood. I mean, whatever your exercise is. But when you do that for 30 minutes a day, um, it, it provides something inside of a heart that gives it the ability to build new blood vessels. I mean, that I don't know. Maybe I'm different, but that seems incredible to me that my heart, just by working out or by exercising or whatever, that my heart is actually going to repair itself. And so it's said that people with debilitating heart failure will see drastic improvements just by walking or riding a bicycle for 30 minutes a day. Just by exercising for 30 minutes a day, your heart will literally begin to rebuild itself. Um, I know that this may come as a shocker to many of you as you, you were looking, but I'm not a great example of of health and wellness and nutrition. Um, my diet for a long time consisted of Twinkies and Slim Jims and Mountain Dew. Uh, and so I'm now reaping the benefit of those decisions. Um, but, but it does cause me to wonder a little bit. Like this does cause me to wonder if, if, if exercise can make my, my physical heart repair itself, it makes me wonder that if the same is true for my spiritual heart. It makes me wonder if exercising my spiritual heart can help rebuild things in there as well. And so go with me. Like, like, like we're, we're, we're going to just jump right in. All right, Nehemiah chapter 8, um, verse 1. So we, I'm going to give you just a heads up. We're going to have a lot of scripture today. Um, you're welcome. Sorry, I don't, I don't know how to take that how you want, but that's, that's, that's what you're in for. So here we go. Uh, so eight, chapter 8, it says, In October, when the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled with a unified purpose at the square just inside the water gate. They asked Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given for Israel to obey. So on October 8th, Ezra the priest brought the book of the law before the assembly, which included the men and women and all the children old enough to understand. 
He faced the square just inside the water gate from early morning until noon. And Early morning until noon. He stood in red. All right. Make sure that we don't just skip right over that one. Uh, early morning until noon, he read aloud to everyone who could understand. And all the people listened closely to the book of the law. And then we skip down verse five. Ezra stood on the platform in full view of all the people. And when they saw him open the book, they all rose to their feet. Okay. So the book was opened, right? They, they, they opened the, they opened the book and they said that he read from early morning until about noon. So let's say a few hours. And so when the book was open, they all stood up. All right, so here we go. Um, so then they, these, these Israelites, they have all gathered for just one reason. They have all gathered because they, they, they knew that they were missing something. They, they knew that they had strayed. They knew that they had gone away from where, what, what God was calling them to do, and they were broken because of that. They were broken because they did not hold up their end of the bargain. And they realized that it's not enough to rebuild the, the, the systems and the structures of their city if they were not willing to rebuild their hearts as well. They realized in that moment that it was not enough just to make sure the outside was safe and clean if they weren't going to take care of the inside as well. And so Ezra reads the law to them and they begin to weep, it says. It says they began to weep. And they wept because they realized that they messed up. They wept because they, they realized that they had not done what was asked of them to do. And so Nehemiah stands up, and I love this. He stands in uh, chapter 8, verse 9 and 10. It says, Don't mourn or weep on such a day as this, for today is a sacred day before the Lord your God. Don't be dejected and sad, for the Lord, or for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Don't be sad. Don't be dejected. Don't let your heart remain troubled or broken. And so Nehemiah stands up and he says to the people that today is not a day to be sad, but today is a day to celebrate. Today is a day to rejoice because once you were lost, but now you are found. You have, rem- you have been reminded of who you are. And I, I, I believe that so often... We live in the brokenness of our lives, forgetting the goodness of our God. So often we, 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 we live in, in, in the brokenness that is before us. We, we, we live in these broken moments and these things that, are, that aren't just right any longer. And we live there. And we forget about the very nature of our God, that, that he is a good, good God. And so we live as slaves to our shame We live as slaves to our failures and our missteps instead of living in the glorious grace of a father that is forever walking beside us and ahead of us, just waiting to show us that there's something better just ahead. And God wants us to live in this overflow of his love. And so it says, when the Israelites heard the word of God, they wept. And they were moved to tears because they knew that they had let God down and they wept. But Nehemiah says, don't weep. Today we celebrate. Don't weep because you realize that you messed up. Celebrate because you have a good father who's coming after you. And so we move into chapter 9. Um, the, the people repented and they moved forward. And it actually says in verse 3, it says that, that Ezra stood up to read. And, and, and so the, the whole group of people in verse 3, it says, They all stood up 
while he read, and this was for three hours, and then for three more hours, they, they confessed their sins. So this is a, a, a total of six hours, three hours of just listening to the law, and then three more hours of confessing their sins. And I'm over here like, Ryan, if you sing one more song, I'm going to have to like take a break, like pull the chair up, like something. I don't know. Let's wrap this thing up. We're three songs deep, Ryan. Let's just hit the pause button. But for six hours, they stood up. And they repented and they confessed their, 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 their sins before a holy God. That, and they listened to the heartbeat of this God. And the heartbeat of his, for, that he has for his children. And then it says, the people responded. The people responded. They didn't just listen and just get filled with whatever. But, but, but they heard and then they responded. The Israelites were broken and their hearts were broken and they had forgotten their God and they were sent to captivity yet again. But their story did not end there. It didn't end in in the despair and the brokenness that probably so many of them anticipated because God sent a mouthpiece to show them that there was something better. He sent someone to rewrite their story. He, 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 he sent someone that was going to show them the more that God is capable of. And so Ezra and Nehemiah challenged the Israelites to turn back to God. And they reminded them of who they were. They reminded Ezra and Nehemiah, reminded the Israelites that they were God's people. God's holy nation. God, God, God's chosen, his beloved. He had to remi- they had to remind God's people of who they were. In verse 5, it says, um, chapter 9, verse 5, it says, stand up and praise the Lord your God, for he lives from everlasting to everlasting. And then they prayed, may your glorious name be praised. May it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You made the skies and the heavens and all the stars. You made the earth and the seas and everything in them. You preserved them all. And the angels of heaven worship you. You alone are the Lord. That was their identity. You alone are the Lord. That, that, that was the identity of the Israelites because they were the only people who served only one God. And they believed that this one God was going to come and redeem them and, and, and to save them and to, and, and to turn their stories into something better. And so that was their identity that they had somehow forgotten. And so Ezra and Nehemiah reminded them that this is who you are. You are God's people. And he alone is Lord. So, all right. Here we go. Verse 7, you are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him from Ur to the Chaldeans and renamed him Abraham. When he had proved himself faithful, you made a covenant with him to give, uh, to give him and his descendants the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Jebusites, Girgashites, and all other sorts of people. And you have done what you promised, for you are always true to your word. You saw the misery of our ancestors in Egypt, and you heard their cries from beside the Red Sea. You displayed miraculous signs and wonders against Pharaoh, his officials, and all his people, for you know how arrogantly they were treating our ancestors. You have a glorious reputation that has never been forgotten. 
You divided the sea for your people so they could walk through on dry land. And then you hurled their enemies into the depths of the sea. They sank like stones beneath the mighty waters. And you led our ancestors by a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night so they could find their way. You came down at Mount Sinai and spoke to them from heaven. You gave them regulations and instructions that were just and decrees and commands that were good. You instructed them concerning your holy Sabbath, and you commanded them through Moses, your servant, to obey all your commands, decrees, and instructions. You gave them bread from heaven when they were hungry and water from the rock when they were thirsty. You commanded them to go and take possession of the land you had sworn to give them. But our ancestors were proud and stubborn, and they paid no attention to your commands. They refused to obey and did not remember the miracles you had done for them. Instead, they became stubborn and appointed a leader to take them back to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God of forgiveness, gracious and merciful, slow to become angry and rich in unfailing love. You did not abandon them even when they made an idol shaped like a calf and said, This is your God who brought you out of Egypt. They committed terrible blasphemies. But in your great mercy, you did not abandon them to die in the wilderness. The pillar of clouds still led them forward by day, and the pillar of fire showed them the way through the night. You sent your good spirit to instruct them, and you did not stop giving them manna from heaven or water for their thirst. For 40 years, you sustained them in the wilderness, and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, and their feet did not swell. You helped our ancestors conquer kingdoms and nations, and you placed your people in every corner of the land. They took over the land of King Sihon of Heshbon and the land of King Og of Bashan, and you made their descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and brought them into the land you had promised to their ancestors. They went in and took possession of the land. You subdued whole nations before them. Even the Canaanites who inhabited the land were powerless. Your people could deal with these nations on their, and their kings as they pleased. Our ancestors captured fortified cities and and fertile land. They took over houses full of good things with cisterns already dug and vineyards and olive groves and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate until they were full and grew fat and enjoyed themselves and all your blessings. But despite all this, they were disobedient and rebelled against you. They turned their backs on your law. They killed your prophets who warned them to return to you. And they committed terrible blasphemies. So you handed them over to their enemies who made them suffer. But in their time of trouble, they cried to you and you heard them from heaven. In your great mercy, you sent them liberators who rescued them from their enemies. But as soon as they were at peace, your people again committed evil in your sight. And once more, you let their enemies conquer them. Yet whenever your people turned and cried out to you again for help, you listened once more from heaven. And your wonderful mercy, you rescued them many times. You warned them to return to, the, to your law, but they became proud and obstinate and disobeyed your commands. They did not follow your regulations by which people will find life if only they obey. They stubbornly turned their backs on you and refused to listen. In your love, you were patient with them for many years. You sent your spirit who warned them through the prophets, but still they wouldn't listen. So once again, you allowed the people of the land to conquer them. But in your great mercy... You did not destroy them completely or abandon them forever. What a gracious and merciful God you are. So what comes out of this massive chunk of Scripture are three truths that the Israelites held on to and three truths that we hold on to. 
And so the first one is, God does not abandon his people. God does not abandon his people. God, God sees what you're going through right now. God knows exactly what's happening. He knows the circumstances that are happening in your life or around your life. God is, God is not unaware. He knows what's happening. God, God sees what you're going through. The broken state of your heart doesn't have to stay that way. And the failures that, that, that have kept you pinned down no longer have control over your life. The insecurities that you have only silence the whisper of God. I've worked inside the church long enough uh, to know that, that, that we inside the church are not immune to heartbreak and hurts either. I know that some of you right now in this moment are disappointed in how your life has played out. I know that some of you right now in this moment within this room are, are exhausted with the marriage that you're in. I know that, that, that some of you are desperately worried about the trajectory of your children. And that some of you are walking in a weight that is not yours to carry right now for some of the decisions that your children are making or have made. And the promise that is given to us by God and, and, and what Nehemiah is drawing the Israelites back to and what he is drawing us back to is that God is not unaware. God knows exactly what it is that you're dealing with. He knows exactly what it is that's before you. He is not unaware. There is not a tear that is shed that God isn't saying, I know. I know. And I'm sorry and I'm here. I think, one, and I feel like I've said this before, that one of the greatest phrases in the English language is me too. Me too. I get it. I'm there with you. I understand you're not alone. And that is essentially what God is saying always. I know. I know, I get it. I'm listening, I'm here. God is not unaware of our circumstances and he will never abandon us. The second thing, God guides and instructs his people. God guides and instructs his people. Nehemiah is pointing us back to the wilderness. He's pointing us back to, to, to after the Israelites were were. were, were Freed from Egypt. He points us back to them when God went with them in a pillar of smoke in the day and a pillar of fire by night. And he reminds us that God guides us and God instructs us and that God is with us. But how does he do it today? You might be asking, like, how, how does this all play out? Like, I don't see any, like, flaming pots walking around or anything like that. Like that so that's not super helpful right now. I mean, maybe it was good for them because they have roadmaps. But, but, like, for me, like, that's not super helpful for me. And so I think that the way that God does it to us today is through his scripture. I think through his word. This, this is God's word that, 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 that is here for us to, to, to read and to let it just to marinate on this and, and to learn the heart of God. But some of you may be sitting there like, like yeah, well, I got to figure out if I need to take this job or if I'm taking this job. Like, I don't know what to do. Like, I, I just read this book and this doesn't tell me anything about should I have this job or this job. So, so, so what do I do? And I think that that's why God gives us community. I think that that's why God gives us solid biblical community. And that's why, that, that's why we talk so much about like our life groups and how important this transformed series is that's coming up. Because there are other messy people who are walking through life that, that, who, that can walk through life with you. 
And maybe they can be a sounding board and maybe they can help you out. Maybe they can make sense of something um, that God has revealed to them for you. Like, like this is why we do community. This is why it matters. Christian community flourishes when we become fiercely committed to each other. And so God does not abandon his people and God guides and instructs his people. And the third truth that we find in this is that God is ready to forgive. Over and over and over and over and over and over and over again in that chunk of scripture that we read, it always said that God is merciful. God forgives. God does not abandon. God has not left you. God is merciful. He forgives. His, his, his love is overwhelming. He has this reckless love that pursues so no matter where it is that you are, no matter what, what you have done, no matter, no matter what, what your life is playing out like, that God is ready to forgive. A gracious God, full of love. I love it. In, in verse 17, it says, You are a God of forgiveness, gracious and merciful, slow to become angry and rich in unfailing love. You did not abandon them even when they made an idol shaped like a calf and said, This is your God who brought you out of Egypt. Even in our greatest blasphemies, God forgives us. And so there is nothing that you have ever done, nothing that you have ever said, nothing that you have ever seen, I mean, no place that you have ever been that, that God will not pursue you and forgive you for. And you may be thinking, like, Ryan, like, that sounds great. Like, I love the idea of that. But, but, but you don't know what I've done, Ryan. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've experienced. You don't, you don't know my past. And while you were probably right, I know my past. And I know where I've been. And I know that I have still experienced this reckless love. And I am forever different because of it. I have tasted the goodness and so there is a God who, who, who loves you more than you can think or imagine, who, who knit you together in your mother's womb and who knows every hair on your head. Even though for some of you it may be easier to count, he still knows every detail. And he knows every hurt. And he's been next to you for every single one. You have been fearfully and wonderfully made. And the God that created the heavens and the earth and everything within it is interested in the very smallest details of your life. In Psalm 33, it says, The Lord merely spoke and the heavens were created. He breathed the word and all the stars were born. The Lord looks down from heaven and sees the whole human race. From his throne, he observes all who live on the earth. But the Lord watches over those who fear him, those who rely on his unfailing love. He rescues them from death and keeps them alive in times of famine. We put our hope in the Lord, and he is, a, he is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. Let your unfailing love surround us, Lord, for our hope is in you alone. And that is a promise that we need. That is a promise that, that each one of us needs, like that, that this church needs, that this city needs, that our homes need. That there is a God who is ready to forgive. A God that will never, ever leave you. 
and a God who's going to walk beside you and ahead of you, just waiting to show you something better. Our homes and our lives and our cities need a God that is bigger than our herds. Amen. We need a God who can hold us together no matter what it is that we're facing or going through. And how, 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 how do we know? Like, how do, how do we really, really know that there is a God who is willing to do all of these things? And I, and I feel like the best way to, to, to try to wrap our minds around this is to by going deep, 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 deep within you. Laminin. Laminin is a cell adhesion molecule. It is literally holding you together. It, 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 it's, it's the rebar to your life. It, it, it's like the super glue or the gorilla glue or whatever it is. That, that if this breaks down, then you will literally fall apart. And this is a scientific model of what laminin looks like. I mean, I don't think that's an accident. I don't think it's an accident that the one thing that is keeping you, you, looks like this. I don't, I don't think that that is an accident. Here's a real life, like, microscopic picture of what that looks like. The thing that is holding you together. I mean, I don't have to tell you what that looks like, right? Like, we, we all, we get it. I don't have to tell you that the one thing that is keeping you, you, that is holding you together, resembles that. And I can't help but be reminded of Colossians 1. It says, For through him God created everything. In the heavenly realms and on earth, he made the things we, we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything, everything was created through him and for him. And he existed before anything else. And he holds all creation together. Of course. Of, of, of course. He holds all things together. Of course, he holds all things together. All we have to do is just look deep within us to, to see this. Of course, Jesus Christ holds us together. And so you may be walking through the craziest season of your life. Maybe the most difficult, maybe the hardest or whatever it is, wherever you have found yourself right now. There is a good, good father that is pursuing you recklessly to bring you back to him. It's not enough just to take care of the outside, right? We've got to rebuild our hearts as well. And so that may be making a step or taking a step towards Jesus for the very first time. Maybe again. But he is the one that holds everything together. Only the reckless, 
love of Jesus can take our hurts and our fears and our brokenness and our guilt and our shame and heal our broken hearts. I asked Ryan to come back up and, and, and to sing through this chorus once again. And, and I know that when we sang it the first time, he's like, I want you to really listen to the words. But, but this time, I, I, I want you to shout these words. Shout the words of our good, good Father that pursues you recklessly. So you stand and sing with us. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it, I don't deserve it, still you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Sing it again. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves a ninety-nine. Cause I couldn't earn it, I don't deserve it, still you give yourself away. And oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. And then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This is the cup, or this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it, for every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. In just a moment, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. If you have made that decision to follow Jesus Christ and made him the Lord of your life, we encourage you to, to join us. And if you have not done that, I encourage you to not leave this place before you do that. We have people set up on the sides of the rooms for, for prayer that would love to just pray with you or pray over you or whatever that means or whatever that looks like. But here in a moment, I'm going to pray. And then as you feel led, we want you to come forward and um, take part in the Lord's Supper. God, we love you so much. God, I thank you for your grace and for your love and for your, your, your reckless pursuit of each one of us. God, I pray that, that, God, I pray that we would never be the same. I pray that you would do something big in our lives and in our midst. It's in your matchless name that we pray. Amen.